0: Hi, and welcome to Foundation Forward, a podcast series about generosity, brought to you by the Anglican Foundation of Canada. Foundation Forward invites Canadians to talk about generosity, why it's important, and how they express it. I'm your host, Chris Dawes. foundation forward we're digging a bit deeper into the idea of generosity from the duty we sometimes think it to be to the amazing things it unlocks in us and those around us and the joy and the calling it has become for some remarkable people like you and me thank you for joining us From Executive Director Canon Judy Royce and me, and everyone at the Anglican Foundation of Canada, a safe, inspiring, and very Merry Christmas. We'll be back as usual on the first Monday in January 2021 with a brand new episode featuring Toronto writer, media figure, and Anglican deacon, Michael Corrin, and a wonderful year of digging even further into our fascinating topic. I hope you'll join us. This fifth episode of Foundation Forward dropped December 7th, and the day before that, December 6th, was St. Nicholas Day, a historic day of gift-giving in honor of a famously generous 4th-century Bishop of Myra that is in many ways the precursor to our modern celebration of Christmas. For many of us, the Advent season brings generosity into sharp focus, as we pursue not just gift-giving, welcoming guests into our homes, At least in other years, and thinking about end of year charitable giving, but also as the needs in our communities, our country, and our world continue to require our commitment to food banks, gift programs, development agencies, and pandemic relief. Our guest today is Kingston, Ontario based author Lawrence Scanlon, who spent a remarkable year of living generously that culminated in a successful book of that title now 10 years ago. I took a gorgeous Thanksgiving weekend drive through the hills and fields of Prince Edward County to the small home Lawrence calls his sacred place. And as we sat on his porch, he started out by telling me how the book had come about and what had given it its unique concept.
1: So um, the book began with me and my family. I'm the oldest of eight wrestling with how do we mark the passing of our mother, who was a very generous person. And it got me thinking about legacy, um, philanthropy. I began to look at um, the shape of modern philanthropy and how a lot of people, uh, when I read the obits, a lot of people were being defined as philanthropists. And I, I began to look at what is happening in that world? Um, what is philanthropy doing that maybe government should be doing? Um, is, is one compensating for the other? So, and then the, the, the question was, how do, I, how do I format this book? What shape does it take? And it led to um, a book about 12 months in my life, each month dedicated to a different charity or philanthropic endeavor. So that was, that's how the book was launched.
0: You were looking into a pretty abstract topic. Um, What suggested turning it into something concrete in your own time and your own contribution?
1: My wife jokes that all I do, I've written a lot of books, all I do is do something and write about it. So I wanted to know what it's like to, for example, work in a soup kitchen in Kingston. I wanted to go to... uh, Senegal and work at a community, um, radio, um, a woman's radio station, and teach journalism there. So I did 12 different things, and I wrote about my experience, and that's just the nature of my my writing. That's what I do.
0: So you used the words philanthropy Mm -hmm. uh, and soup kitchen. Yes. And uh, also in your book you mentioned charity and helping the less fortunate. Mm Mm-hmm. We wrestle with language because sometimes it carries along with
1: it things that more than we want it to express. Right. I right. actually very much like the cover of the book, which shows one hand in the top right hand corner uh, giving and a hand in the bottom left hand corner receiving. What I discovered, I think, is that um, there, is, there are these two worlds um, there is the world of those who have and those who need, and when I think when you are always in one camp or the other, you forget what it what it's like to be the other. Um, Andrew Carnegie is somebody I reference a lot in my book, and he famously said in the 1800s, late 1800s, that the great problem of modern times is how do we share the wealth, and I still think that's our that's our biggest problem. Um, in, uh, income inequality doesn 't help climate change it doesn't help uh, violence on the streets wouldn't it be a great world if I could write a book and then that problem would be solved by the book but it of course it it hasn't been solved it's gotten worse. one of the revelations that you did refer to is connecting to a
0: cause through people on the ground, presumably that's a model that you have also followed
1: in creating this book yes, and um, I mean I like to think that the shape of the book um, offered something different, uh, 12 different experiences. But you know, um, when I was in Senegal, for example, one of the questions that they would ask, because they'd get Senegal and places like Senegal, very poor countries, get a steady stream of people coming through. Um, you get, uh, you know, these volunteers who come and help build a school, for example. But um, they don't need that. They actually need money so they can build their own school. And the question that they all asked me is, how long are you staying? And if you're only staying as I was for four weeks, are you coming back? There was one criticism that was leveled at the book and that is, "Yeah, you, know, you were kind of a, a tourist just going from place to place. Hmm. But then I was asked, you know, did the book change you? And at first I thought, no, it hadn't. But I think the book did change me. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting that the book came out in 2010, and here you are, there's interest in the book that books have a very short shelf life. This book was picked up by six different universities across the country and was inflicted on first-year students, um, and maybe some of them actually read the book. but um, the book has the book has legs. I, I've written quite a few books, and this is one of the books that seems to still generate interest, I mean, ten years after the fact. So you
0: began your year with a number of questions. I wonder if I can repeat a few of them to yeah. you and just have you come at them for in, in, in fairly brief form. In the face of human suffering here and elsewhere, what, if anything, is my obligation and that of my community or my country?
1: Mm-hmm. I think there is an obligation and we need to be reminded of that, like virtually every day. Um, I'm working right now on a young adult novel, and it poses the question, what if the virus or something like it uh, provoked greed? What if greed was a kind of virus? Anyway, that's my short answer to that question. Hmm.
0: The euphoria that Ebenezer Scrooge felt when he stopped his penny-pinching ways, does it endure,
1: and can it be measured in some scientific way? Absolutely. Um, it's been scientifically examined, um, there's something called Helper's High, you know, when you... Even to look at um, film footage of people doing good things for other people um, makes the brain a little happier. But Scrooge didn't believe it, and I think a lot of people don't believe it, and it's why they don't pay their taxes, it's why they don't volunteer. They think it's better to to acquire than, than to give. But no, I mean, the science is in, there's a l- huge literature on this... Um, when you help others, and especially when you do it in community, it's, it feels fantastic.
0: I remember reading at some point in your book as well, uh, the helper's high is not actually a thing that you simply come down from necessarily. The memories of the vivid relationships right. and the outcomes of what may be your contribution right. uh, are something that really
1: stay with you. Yes, Yeah. so being kind... Um, whether it's your own act of kindness or somebody else's. um, You simply have to revisit that act. Thinking about the act of being kind actually um, makes us feel better. I think we all want to believe that the world is a kinder place than it actually is, and that if we do help somebody, um, maybe it lifts their spirit, or maybe it comes back to us in some way, some sort of notion of, of karma my pick for
0: the most powerful statement of the book from yourself what did one do in the face of human suffering and need and that was a reference back to the question you asked at the beginning of the book all i know is this what one should not do is nothing Mm -hmm. what would you tell us
1: about our next step so if you can tailor your particular interest or passion with an organization that works on behalf of that kind of passion, then that's a kind of bliss, that's maybe as good as it gets. So whether you give time or money or both, I would say both is best, but uh, there's a kind of magic. The need will never stop, but that shouldn't stop us from doing what we can.
0: That was writer and activist Lawrence Scanlon. His book, published by Douglas and McIntyre, is A Year of Living Generously, Dispatches for the Front Lines of Philanthropy. And you've been listening to Foundation Forward, a podcast about generosity. Thanks to Lawrence for his year of living generously, and the book he wrote to share it with us. And thanks to you for listening and supporting the Anglican Foundation's vital work across the beautiful country we've been given. Our offices are closed, but you can visit us on the internet at anglicanfoundation.org, where you can get in touch, find out all about our work, and of course, make your donation. You can also email us at foundation at anglicanfoundation.org. Foundation Forward drops on the first Monday of every month. And you can download or listen to its episodes anytime on our website, or subscribe through Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get yours. We'll be back next year. Until then, I'm Chris Dawes. Thanks for listening.